Welcome to the next edition of Fridays with Fintelect. Today we have with us Dr. Rohan Bezi, the Executive Director of the Singapore Financial Crime Compliance Association or SFCCA in short. Rohan is a known thought leader who has authored a book on AML as well as jointly authored e-learning used for years by Austrac for free market training. He is ex-JP Morgan and Bank of America Merrill Lynch where he held senior regional management roles in Singapore. Rohan has also worked with PwC Singapore. His firm SFCCA started marketing their e-learning video training platform earlier this year in July. Rohan, welcome to Fridays with Fintelect and at the outset can you tell us a bit about the SFCCA its role and objectives? Hi Shreesh, firstly thank you for inviting me to your channel and for setting up this conversation. Let me tell you something about SFCCA. So SFCCA was set up in March of 2020. And uh, it was set up with the aim of providing cost-effective training in all the markets that we operate in through pre-recorded videos. So we have started marketing only in July of this year, which means it's only been about two months. So what we cover is private banking and securities FCC. We cover trade finance and corporate banking FCC, and we cover consumer banking FCC. So in terms of levels, we provide training at the professional level for compliance officers and for middle office and at the associate level for relationship managers. In the future, we'll also have certificates at the fellow level, and we'll also have a senior fellow designation. In terms of markets, we're looking for learners in Asia and the Middle East and in Africa, and all our certificate courses, whether they're current or in the future, are all built on Singapore and Hong Kong regulations and best practices. And in terms of, uh, you know, we also have a system of regulatory top-ups, right? So we have what's called the Hong Kong regulatory top-up, and that's for people who are either working in Hong Kong or desirous of working in Hong Kong. So we similarly propose top-ups for India and for the UAE. In terms of our video qualities, all our videos go through very sophisticated sound normalizations before they're launched. Our videos are all hosted on a CDN, which is a content delivery network, and this ensures fast streaming of the video. So all our learners have to sit for a proctored test. And we do this via something called online auto proctored testing. The platform that we use is very sophisticated. It also uses artificial intelligence. So feedback on the courses has all been very positive and we're looking forward to the future and we're looking forward to having many new members join us. Rohan, Singapore and Hong Kong have seen a lot of traction around fintech and digital banking lately. Do you think COVID-19 is likely to accelerate this trend or otherwise? And are you already seeing any evidence around that? So Shrish, the MAS and the HKMA have both created a regulatory sandbox for fintechs. So they want to push these technologies. They want financial institutions to adopt these technologies. But this is subject to proper cybersecurity standards and effective governance around the adoption of these technologies. As far as digital banking or virtual banking is concerned, the MAS have shortlisted 14 of 21 applicants, but they have delayed the announcement of the five finalists, and this is because of COVID. HKMA similarly had already announced the finalists, eight finalists, in the first half of 2019. And four of these have already started their trials. But the trials for the other four virtual banks have been delayed. And this is because of COVID. 
So what's happened with COVID is that online banking and also mobile banking has tremendously increased. And there's also been a massive increase in fraud, including, you know, cybersecurity related fraud. So the MAS and the HKMA are obviously concerned about systemic risk associated with this, you know, these, these new ventures of virtual banking. So what they want the applicants to do is to relook at their plans, to relook at their funding sources, and in the shorter term, to effectively manage COVID within their existing businesses. Thanks, Rohan. Rohan, what challenges do you think fintechs and big techs pose to traditional banks and regulators? So fintech and big tech, such as Google Pay, is offering tremendous competition to traditional banks. And these banks have to enhance their digital offering, for example, around loans to keep up with competition. Payment apps are today giants and Alipay, for example, provides millions of loans to small and medium enterprises. More than 90% in China's largest cities now use WeChat and Alipay as their primary payment method. Cash is second and debit and credit cards are a distinct third. So these platforms have definite advantages. WeChat Pay, for example, has an insight into both the social and the financial networks of people. So for example, they could structure a loan around gift income, which they know that people are receiving. And they also potentially have a better system of notification of financial stress. So monies move much faster, you know, by a simple email, for example, and this creates a lot of competition for banks and also creates issues for regulators because they have to keep up to make sure that these institutions come under the ambit of regulation. Robert, do you think digital banks have an advantage over traditional banks when it comes to AML compliance, given that they do not have to grapple with some of the legacy challenges? Trish, I think these virtual banks or digital banks have a small advantage in the fact that they're starting with a whiteboard. So yes, they can design more effective data management strategies. Uh, you know, they, they can have a better cybersecurity environment. They could adopt the most recent monitoring technologies. But however, we have to remember that they lose out in the entire face-to-face -face interaction with clients. So all the cues that come from that in terms of suspicious activity is, is completely missed. So they have to rely on, uh, you know, technology for KYC, for transactions monitoring. At the back end, they need to have proper databases for negative news screening, sanctions, etc. So I think it's very important that they have to invest and they have to invest in a, you know, in a big manner. So they must, for example, have effective online biometric KYC verification. They must use video conferencing. They must use RegTech to reduce the number of false positives. And they could also potentially have additional controls. For example, the first check comes from a regulated financial institution in, in the same jurisdiction or an equivalent jurisdiction. So they can bridge the gap, that, that's for sure. But this assumes that their client base is well-defined, it's lower risk, and it's retail, right? These, these assumptions are important. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, training is concerned, that becomes critical. So all the monitoring staff, they may be in the back office, but they have to be trained on red flags. So they have to look at the transactions monitoring system and also help to evolve that. So they must have a very strong understanding of, uh, you know, money laundering, uh, financial crime risk in general. 
And it's also important to automate the entire investigation process. And by what I mean by that is that you, you must have a system where if you have an alert, uh, there is uh, effective charting to, to make the necessary comparisons, whether it's with uh, you know your peer group or it's a period comparison. So uh, to the extent that you have this kind of effective charting, it reduces the stress of manual processes. So actually doing these computations and comparisons in a manual manner. And that's where a lot of time and effort is sort of lost. So it's very important to automate the investigations process. And on the other hand, Rohan, what are some of the newer AML CFD compliance challenges that virtual banks will have to deal with? So as I mentioned, COVID has you know enhanced the online and mobile banking transactions. And accounts that were hitherto seen as being low risk are increasingly being used as mule accounts to perpetuate money laundering and fraud, including through phishing attacks on clients' accounts. So obviously the task of monitoring is becoming much more complex. And uh, for these virtual banks, cybersecurity will be key. So not just cybersecurity of their own platforms, but also of any monitoring software that they decide to adopt. So the project management discipline is key. And uh, certainly in Hong Kong, we've seen that with the trial of uh, remote onboarding, uh, you know, the banks that were part of the trial, they, they looked at every selfie uh, image that was clicked, every ID document that was submitted, and, and also the uh, liveliness detection processes to make sure that the technology was doing what was, uh, it, it was supposed to do. And uh, these banks have an advantage in that they have a 100% virtual mindset. So I, th I believe that cybersecurity concerns will be better addressed by them. And they probably have a stronger cybersecurity culture than traditional banks. But uh, anyway, it's, it's worth looking at the HKMA guidance around COVID. And, and this was issued on the 30th of July, 2020. And uh, any bank in the region, uh, whether it's uh, Asia, Africa, or Middle East, should read that guidance because it gives you some very important cues in terms of how you need to enhance your entire financial crime compliance system. So the Monetary Authority of Singapore has recently provided guidance on enhancing the robustness of the enterprise-wide risk assessment in money laundering and terrorist financing. What, according to you, are the problem areas in the way that banks are currently carrying out their risk assessments, if any? Yes, the MAS guidance is, of course, very useful. It's important to remember that the complexity of the assessment and the problem areas faced by banks, right? No two banks will be exactly the same. And this is because the size, the scale, the complexity of their business models, this can be widely divergent. So some banks will still resort to manual collation of data required for the EWRA or the enterprise-wide risk assessment. Some will use a fully qualitative process, not involving any data. And that's of course incorrect, but they do that. And then some will you know, keep their uh, country risk associated with affiliates as medium when it should be high risk. And, and this could be because they want to avoid the extra due diligence coming out of you know, correspondent banking business. And of course, banks that do this eventually find themselves with a huge fine. So it's important to have complete coverage, right? Complete coverage of risks and controls and a granularity, a level of granularity that makes the entire process effective. 
So in terms of the overall methodology, it's, it's important to tie up the EWRA with the RCSA or the risk and control self-assessment. So the RCSA is an operational risk methodology, which is layered on effective issue management and also involves control testing. But many banks do not actually implement RCSA and so they will simply have a risk assessment questionnaire, which is a very vanilla approach to uh, you know, the EWRA. In my view, it's important to blend these two approaches. And, and so for example, the risk assessment questionnaire could be used for future risks. And the MAS pays a lot of emphasis on future risks also. So they say that don't just look at current risks. If you've got certain business strategies which will bring new business risks you know, on the books, uh, say in three years, then you should be considering that as part of your EWRA. Rohan, are there any best practices for enterprise-wide risk assessment that you have come across and would like to share? So Shreesh, uh, in terms of the minimum requirements around the EWRA, this is required to be conducted at least once in every two years at the minimum. And when there are material changes to the business risk profile, for example, a financial institution introduces a new product or service, a new practice or a new technology, then a robust interim assessment is required, which is signed off by the senior management and by heads of business risk and compliance. And this is a regulatory requirement in both Singapore and Hong Kong. So there is guidance that has been issued around this process by the MAS, by the Hong Kong SFC, by the HKMA, and also by Wolfsburg. So all this is relevant to, to sort of read. And in terms of best practices, what we're talking about is that there are risk assessment tools which are there in the market, which you can use. But however, you should not adopt these templates blindly. So you have to look at the specific risks of your financial institution and tailor these templates to those specific risks. You should also use data analytics to derive the risk-focused data, which is required for the EWRA process. There has to be sufficient granularity around risks and controls and a robustness of methodology around risks and controls. A best practice also requires that you issue guidance around the EWRA process to make sure that it's going as per your plan. You should also look at the validity of the data being used by, for the EWRA process. There has to be effective governance around the process, including a proper discussion around the results of the EWRA. There has to be independent testing of the EWRA process. There has to be proper documentation of both the results and the actions that flow from the EWRA process as well as a sharing of such documentation with regulators. Senior management needs to develop an effective risk appetite statement for the EWRA, you know, based on the EWRA, and there has to be an investment in controls to cover off residual risk. And obviously we're talking of a timely rollout of such controls, which means you, you also need effective project management. So later beyond money laundering and terrorist financing, you, we also have to start looking at, you know, topics like fraud and cybersecurity in greater detail for your uh, EWRA process, because ultimately what we're talking about here is financial crime compliance. And we have to remember that. So Rohan, you know that FATF and other regional bodies are stressing increasingly on effective and not just tick in the box compliance. What are our views on what banks can do to move towards greater effectiveness? Shish, as we both know, the difference between tick box compliance and effective risk management is, of course, the risk-based approach. 
and the RBA is no longer a new thing. It's been around for a long time. So, you know, we need to, as a financial institution, understand our risk and have proportionate controls in place. And towards this, the EWRA process, the enterprise-wide risk assessment is incredibly important. Having good, detailed, robust procedures written out by business. So, you know, compliance issues, the policies, business should write out procedures based on those policies, yes. Compliance can eyeball those procedures before they're released. And, and of course, uh, governance around the entire process. So this includes the committee structures, the working groups, uh, proper representation from compliance risk uh, and, and business on these committees and working groups. So a risk-focused training uh, approach. So, you know, focus on red flags and regulators say that again and again. And certainly SFCCA can help you with that. Our videos, for example, can be viewed for you know up to six months to 12 to even 12 months depending on the course but beyond training you also need an ongoing awareness program which means that you know heads of compliance in fcc for example need to join in business meetings to put it in a you know simple way and and uh, make a point or two on fcc to make sure that the topic is top of mind and, and that's one example so there could be a variety of other things that you do to keep awareness alive including, you know, sort of issuance of newsletters, et cetera. And uh, you have to adopt the correct databases for KYC. And certainly uh, in, in terms of uh, guidance, the regulators mention LexisNexis and WorldCheck as examples. And they use that as examples. So they're not actually endorsing these products. Uh, you have to have the right monitoring platform, which is tailored to your risks and business model. And this could, could potentially include, right? So you have your statistical profiling engines, you have artificial intelligence, you have machine learning, you have link analysis. So there are all these technologies and depending on your risk and business profile, you, your, your business model, you would uh, adopt the right technologies. And Shri, certainly the bang, Bangladesh bank, you know, uh, swift fraud case where 101 million US dollars uh, got sort of uh, siphoned out of, of, uh, uh, of the bank, right? Uh, it, it proves to us that how important it is, right? That that, that uh, money laundering, fraud, and cybersecurity they work together. You can't see these uh, these these three three divisions in silos anymore. They need to work synergistically. They need to uh, exploit synergies in uh, technology, in staffing, in processes. Okay, so we have to take a holistic view of our financial crime risk management. We can't, we can't take this isolated, siloed approach anymore. And of course, as we both know, it's useless talking of effective risk management if you don't have the proper compliance team in place, which means not just in terms of size of uh, the team, but also in terms of skills. And you know, we there are at least some financial institutions who are still talking of just maybe compliance testing and external audit, but external audit is not a replacement for internal audit. So internal audit, independent testing is a separate process. So you need to have compliance testing, you need to have internal audit, and yes, internal audit can be outsourced. So you need to have internal audit and then you need to have external audit. And importantly, that compliance testing and the internal audit, you know, the teams need to work together to develop their testing program. And in general, the internal audit team should be thought of as a very important ally of, uh, of the compliance team and both teams need to work synergistically. 
Finally, Rohan, culture audits have been in the news recently. Can you share your thoughts on culture and conduct issues? Thank you, Shreech, for picking up on this thread. It's incredibly important. Culture is the key driver of conduct and risk management quality. And this is incredibly important, especially in centers like Singapore and Hong Kong, which are massive private banking centers, as we know. So culture starts with effective tone at the top. We can no longer have CEOs, for example, who talk of FCC and then smile and wink on the side. That's completely unacceptable. So senior management have to talk the talk and walk the walk, as they say, right? The MAS have come out with their final IAC or uh, individual accountability and conduct guidelines, you know, very recently, a few days ago. So they have five outcomes that they expect, and this includes fit and proper, and uh, also includes having the right framework towards conduct. So what the IAC guidelines really want is senior management accountability and a culture of ethical behavior. In Hong Kong, you similarly have the MIC framework, right? The MIC regime, the manager in charge regime, which is under the SFC. So it has similar objectives. So really, you know, I'd like to attract the attention of your viewers, three documents. The first is the Association of Banks Code of Conduct for Private Banking. The second is the HKMA or the Hong Kong Monetary Authorities bank culture reform document, which came out in 2017. And uh, they also have two other documents after that. So one is a self-assessment questionnaire and the other is a study uh, or rather a report based on that study, uh, you know, on that self-assessment study. You also have the IIA, which is the Institute of Internal Auditors, right? Who've come out with a document called Auditing Culture quite recently. And that's another document which is worth looking at. And then beyond these, at least in Singapore, you have what's called the MAS and ABS, Culture and Conduct Steering Group. So this is also an incredibly important mechanism to ensure effective culture within the financial sector. And we can expect the uh, Culture and Conduct Steering Group to come up with you know, numerous documents, advisories, statements, et cetera, from time to time. So the HKMA document, you know, going back to it, it has three pillars for, for an effective culture. The first is tone at the top. The second is having the right incentive systems to penalize. So to, to penalize and, and basically stop undesired or unacceptable behavior, right? And the third pillar is assessment and feedback mechanisms. So what we want is, uh, you know, what we want are things like whistleblowing channels, which are, which actually work uh, we want feedback from both staff and from customers through, for example, surveys. And certainly your culture audits falls within this third pillar. It's important to remember that conduct is, is much broader than, uh, than say, uh, you know, pure FCC requirements, right? So conduct includes things like fair dealing. It includes things like data protection. It includes things like, uh, you know, uh, not indulging in insider trading, in front running, in parallel running, uh, in avoiding conflicts of interest. And this could be through controls around gifts and entertainment. And, uh, or it could be through controls around, for example, you cannot enter into a business venture with your client 
without a pre-approval, or for that matter, any kind of joint venture or investment. Uh, it's important for FCC heads hence to remember that we need a full ecosystem to make FCC succeed. We can't talk of FCC in isolation. We have to see FCC as an integral part of the broader compliance discipline. And, and when that entire ecosystem is strong, then your FCC standards would also succeed. Rohan, thank you so much for taking time out today to speak with us. It was indeed a pleasure having you on Fridays with Fintelect. Hey, Shreesh. Thank you so much for having me on your channel. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Please stay safe and cheers. Thank you.